Well, we are going to be continuing on in our, our series in the book of Matthew as we work our way through the book of Matthew over this next year. And this morning we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Um, and that's going to be in your pew Bible if you want to open that to 971 or your own Bible. Or I will be kind of throwing verses up on the screen so you can uh, track along. Now, we are in the middle of Operation Christmas Child season, which you all know by now. And, and as I said, I do love it. And part of me, I just love Christmas. Um, but, you know, we've been kind of talking about this as a family. And we showed the video last week of Operation Christmas Child. And that piqued a lot of interest in my daughter Ella's mind. And she's been asking me a lot of questions about Operation Christmas Child and where are the boxes going and, and who's getting them and what is their life like. And we had to make sure we put a picture of her in each one so they can see what she looks like. And, and she just has a lot of questions rolling around in her mind. And she's curious about the boxes and that's part of the reason why we showed the video, right, is to, to peek our questions or peek questions in our minds. So as we've been talking about Operation Christmas Child, I, I sat down with, with her at dinner, and I just, I just thought, you know, maybe I'd throw this out to her. And I said, I said and she said I could share this, by the way. I did ask her. But I, I, said, I said, Ella, you know, maybe this year, instead of doing Christmas presents, what if we didn't spend that money we would spend on Christmas presents and gave that to a child in need, whether that's here or in another country? And she looked at me like I was a space alien. It was kind of like this. And she stared at me for about a minute, which she's very talkative, so for her not to talk for a minute at dinner time, I was like, oh, she's really thinking. And so she stared at me for about a minute, and then, you know, I'm, and I'm kind of explaining to her, she's staring, staring at me, honey, you know, you have plenty of clothes, so do we, you have more toys than you can even imagine because your Nana and Papa's keep like buying you them, like, I, we're going to have to get like a storage unit or something for them. But she's staring at me while, while I'm talking to her about this, and finally she says, no. I don't think so. I want toys for Christmas. And we laugh as adults, but are we really any different? Am I really any different? I don't think so. When it comes to our money and our stuff, are we any different? We maybe don't say it out loud, but we think it in our heads, right? If I'm going to be honest with you this morning, Ella's line of thinking is really not that much different from my own. It's probably not that much different from your own, if, if we are going to be honest together with each other. This morning, as we go through the book of Matthew, we're going to talk about everyone's favorite subject, which is money. I know everyone's like, oh, but I, I hope we can be really practical today. And Jesus talks about money a lot, actually, because it is powerful. And he even uses the language in this Matthew text that, of slavery where we can only serve two masters. We can either serve God or money, but not both. And he says this, as we're going to see this morning, because money is powerful. And if I tell you the truth, I need a regular reminder about this in my life, about how to handle what God has given me and, and trusting in him, because it's hard for me. It's a challenge and I think we're going to see that the bottom line this morning, what Jesus has to say, is he's asking us, do I trust God or my possessions and what I can collect? 
Now, I just preached on the Lord's Prayer last week, and in the Lord's Prayer, we, we said things like, like we're asking God's kingdom come, to come and the holiness of God and His will to be done on earth and how He's supreme in our lives and all things. And we, we talked about how we are fully dependent on God to provide us for our every need, even forgiveness and salvation. And then we, we ask for this, uh, this humility as God is protector and provider in the Lord's Prayer. Well, Jesus just takes it deeper. All of the Sermon on the Mount is, is really one preaching. And so he's kind of diving down the rabbit hole of, of, of provision and God's provision for us. And he's going to tell us this morning when he's going to talk about money, he's going to say we can look at it, um, two, we can have two treasures. He's going to say two visions or two masters. So let's look. He says, he says, you can have two treasures in your life. And he starts off by saying this. He says, do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So Jesus is saying, we shouldn't be focused on laying up for ourselves treasures on earth. No, and I think Jesus, he's not just simply talking about wealth or luxury items here. He was just talking about breads, bread and the Lord's Prayer. And he just told us that, that we're, we're, we're dependent on God for our daily ration of bread. We said that, that Jesus in the Lord's Prayer wants us to recognize that he is our provider and we're fully dependent on him and our needs. And now Jesus, he gives us a variety of reasons why we shouldn't be dependent on our possessions. And he says that we shouldn't because they are easily destroyed. And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, don't invest solely in what is easily destroyed. Where he says, where wrath, moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. He lists, these are ways our treasures are destroyed. You can have, you know, a, a, I don't know anything about fashion, but you can have a $20,000 dress and in 100 years it's not going to be worth anything. He says, your, your precious metals, uh, they're, they're going to go away. I'm a, I'm a fan of old cars. You can have that old car, and you leave it outside, and, and it looks like this. It rusts and rots, and it basically goes back to the earth. Thieves, you can hoard a bunch of stuff, and thieves can break in and steal everything that you have. Jesus tells us, storing treasures on earth, if that's all we do, it just doesn't last. The issue here, what Jesus is driving at, is bigger than whether you live luxuriously or not. That's not what he's getting at. Rather, the question he's asking me and he's asking you, he's saying, do you trust money more than you trust God to provide? Do you trust money more than you trust God to provide? Or put differently, is money the middleman in your life or is it the main man that is controlling what you do? Are you depending on your money, your stored up wealth? It's a trust issue that Jesus is getting at. It's not things. You can be a wealthy person and generous. You can be a multi-multi-millionaire. Jesus doesn't care about that. The issue is trust. And what he's getting at is, what is the reason you are storing up treasures? It's, is it hoarding? Are you saying, oh, God's not going to provide for me? The more you amass and secure, you feel better for a while. But then that security, that, that feeling goes away. 
This verse does not prohibit being prudent with our money. That's not what Jesus is saying. Making sensible provision for the future. But being covetous. Like a miser who hoard the materials that God has given you and always want more. That's what John Stott says. So instead of viewing money as a source of provision from God, you see God as the source of that provision. Instead of getting things like food, clothing, housing, cars, and etc., because you're worried about not having what you need, you selflessly love others with the things that you have. Jesus says this in verse 20. He says, Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven instead, where moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus says instead, invest some of your money in eternal purposes. He is asking us to to invest here in God's work in the world. And I believe here he's talking about the work of the church. Jesus said he came to build his what? Sunday school answer. Church. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. That's what Jesus and God is in the business of doing. They're in the business of building a church. It's the church who has the gospel witness to the world to change people's lives. It's the church who should be helping widows and orphans. It's the church who who changes eternal destinies through the proclamation of the gospel message. It's not the government. It's not UNICEF or the March of Dimes. It is the local church. Jesus says, make some of your investment in the eternal work of the local church so that you are storing up treasures in heaven for yourself. In other words, eternal treasures. Ultimately, Jesus asks you in two treasures. He says, what do you treasure most? What do you value most? God or money? Money seems to easily get a grip on us and take control of our lives. And Jesus tells us in verse 21... He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Have you ever noticed what I've noticed? The most generous people, their heart is is just filled with the love of God, typically. There was a guy that I grew up with. Um, His son was my friend. And he, um, he, he's very, very wealthy. He has a lot of money, but he's also the most generous person I know. And he is, his heart is where God is. And he's, just, he's filled with joy. His name is Dan, by the way. Um, and Dan, Dan is just, he is, he's, all, he's, he's constantly giving away what God has given to him. Next, we're going to see that there are two visions So we've seen that there are two treasures, there are two visions, and and Jesus talks about really how we see the world and how we use our money, and he starts out by saying this in verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So if you have healthy vision, your, your, your eyes are full of light. By the way, the Greek word that he's using here is hopalus. And, and many of your translations, you know, it says healthy. Uh, I think the KJV says single-minded. And that really captures it better. It's this idea of having a single-minded vision. You, you see clearly, you don't have double vision is what Jesus is talking about here. This word is only used twice in the New Testament, by the way. But um, 
It's saying, Jesus is saying, if your eyes are healthy, you have a singular vision or focus. Your eyes aren't split. You don't have double vision when it comes to money and trust in God. Jesus, however, says we can also have double vision or not have a singular focus, which is what he says when we have a bad eye in verse 23. He says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in, your, in you is darkness, oh, how great the darkness. And he's, and he's speaking, he's using an analogy here, he's speaking metaphorically. But if you've ever had double vision before, um, it, is, it is unbelievable. Now, and what Jesus is saying, if you ever have double vision and your eyes are trying to focus on, on Jesus and earthly treasures, he's saying you have issues. About a year ago, shortly before I came here, I, I had vertigo. Has anyone ever had vertigo? Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, you, 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 those of you that have had it, that's a thing. I mean, I never had it before. I, I got it. Like, like you, there's these little hairs in your ears and these little stones, and if they get out of, like, whack, like, you, like, move your head, and the whole world is, like, splitting and spinning. Your eyes are, like, sp- and splitting, and you got to, like, just sit down or you're going to fall down. That was one of the worst things I've ever experienced. It was just awful. I couldn't even focus on anything. I basically just had to go to bed all the time because I just, I couldn't do anything. I just had this double vision, and my head would just spin. That's, that's kind of the language Jesus Jesus is, is using here. What he's saying is this. He is saying that the man who divides his interests and tries to focus on both God and possessions has no clear vision and will live without clear orientation or direction. That's what Jesus is getting at. So where is your vision this morning? And then he says you can have two masters. Now Jesus, he's been speaking in metaphor um, and, and about money, and now he's, he's getting right to the point. He's drilling right down and getting right to the point. He says this in verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. John Stott, when speaking about this, He says this, Jesus now explains that behind the choice between two treasures, where we lay them up, and two visions, where we fix our eyes, there lies the still more basic choice between two masters, whom we are going to serve. In both verses, in verse 24, both God and money are not portrayed as employers. You can have two employers. Have you ever worked two jobs? You can have two employers, but you cannot have two masters. You cannot have two masters. You can have three jobs, but you cannot have two masters. You are owned by one or the other. You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus says. And he goes even further. He says, why? Because you will hate the one and love the other. Jesus' point here is abundantly clear. We cannot serve both God and money because if we serve money, here's what tends to happen. It tends to take a hold on you and takes, grabs a hold of you and drags you farther and farther away from God. We're going to be talking about debt in a little bit here as an application point, but you see that happen in people's lives. Money can take a grasp on our hearts, and if it does, we cannot serve both God and money. You cannot be devoted to both. So Jesus would ask you this morning, 
He would say, who is your master? Who are you serving? How is your vision? Where, what do you treasure most this morning? Do you have control on your money, Jesus is getting after, or does your money control you? That is how I believe Jesus is challenging us this morning with this text. Because money is so powerful in our lives. It grips us and holds us. And all of a sudden we're chasing after it with everything that we have. However, I think we know the truth that that spending money ourselves never really satisfies us. I was joking with the Sunday school guys this morning, but I was saying, you know, you're a guy and you buy a boat. And that boat makes you happy for a few minutes. Then you you go ahead and you buy a truck, a bigger truck to pull the boat. And then you have to to buy a bigger uh, uh, garage to put the boat and the car in the garage. And you keep buying and buying. Those things make you happy for a short period of time, but they never really bring you true joy. As I said, the most joyful people I know, true joy, are the most generous people. So practical application this morning is this. Control your money, don't let your money control you. Control your money, don't let your money control you. Jesus tells us in this next section, which we're going to look at next week, that a barometer for if our money is controlling us is anxiety and fear. He says this in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Is your money causing you worry and anxiety this morning? That is a good barometer. Do you think about it all the time? Do you have fear you're not going to have enough? Are you worried and concerned? When you have time just to sit, does your mind go towards that anxiety, that anxious worry about money? If that is where you are at, I've been there, and that is a sure sign that you have a lack of trust in God's provision in your life. And Lisa and I, we, we've been there. I'm going to talk about a few things I've learned uh, this, this morning about that. But who here has heard, I know some of you, who here has heard of Dave Ramsey? Okay, a lot of you. I'm going to talk briefly about some of his principles, and then um, we're going to show, show you just a short video. So Dave Ramsey. Uh, Dave Ramsey, he talks about controlling, uh, controlling money. Taking control of finance. The Bible speaks an awful lot about that. And, and there's this kind of idea in Scripture of being stewards of what God has given you, living, living open-handed, and, 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 and living in a way where you see your, your blessings are coming from God, and you're not hoarding and acting in a miserly way. Corey Tenboom says, I've learned to hold all things loosely so that God will not have to pry them out of my hands. So, there, there is this, this idea of, 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 of living in a way where we're receiving from God and then living in a way that, that he would desire for us based on scripture. So one is, is living within our means. If God has given you a certain amount of provision in your life, it is, it is not going into debt. It is not spending and spending and spending and spending. Now, I just have a couple of statistics here just on debt because it is a problem in our country. And it says this. This just blows my mind. This is the average American. Okay, so if we're trusting God in provision, it says the average American is $5,315 in credit card debt. 
has a personal loan of $16,458, has an auto loan of $19,703, and has a HELOC on their house of $41,954. Would you say that's trusting in God? That's living beyond our means. So, so that's the first thing that Dave Ramsey teaches, is trusting in God, what he provides for you, and living within your means. Next, he says that we, we are to invest and, and actually plan for the future by investing 10% of what we receive from God uh, for retirement or for our future. We, we're controlling our money. We're not letting our money control us. It's the same thing that Jesus is saying. Where's your treasure? Where's your vision? Who's your master? Dave Ramsey says that we should be investing 10% of our money towards our future because we don't know what our future holds. Uh, Proverbs 20, 21, or 21, 20 says this. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but the fool gulps theirs down. So we're living off 80% where we're saving 10% for the future. We're avoiding debt. We're, we're not going beyond our means. Um, we're, we're, we're living with the singular vision inside God's will of how he wants us to use our money. Lastly, Jesus says we are to also then invest in the kingdom of God, which he talks about in this passage as well. So, so we, have, we live off 80%, we invest 20%, and then we give 10% to the local church. Now, the Old Testament uh, talks about a tithing. It says this in Leviticus 27, uh, 30. It says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now, some of you may be saying, okay, number one, you're saying, Pastor Andrew, that is the Old Testament. That doesn't apply, okay? And you're saying, you're talking about fruit or produce. And I would say two things to that. One, fruit or produce was your income in the Old Testament when this was written. And two, I would say the Bible talks about tithing both before the law and after the law. Abraham tithed in Genesis to the king of Salem. And we see in Matthew 23, 20, he says, Jesus says this. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus is not upset that they're tithing. He's saying it's good that you're tithing, but you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. By the way, when I was first challenged with this by my pastor as a young man when I was 19 years old, I thought he was nuts. I thought he was absolutely, positively nuts. Pastor Bob Merritt was his name. He challenged our church with this. He said, he said try it for two months. And I'm like, I'm like, Pastor Bob, you are crazy. I am not going to give 10% of my income to the church. I did. And I found what Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says is true. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is not saying if you give to God, God's going to make you rich. It's not what it's saying. But God, I truly believe, and Lisa and I have experienced in our life, when we are faithful with what God has given us, there is just something about a security there that you have. There is a blessing there. I mean, we've Trust me, my wife and I are not wealthy by any, by any means. But we always seem to be taken care of. People have stepped into our lives in difficult situations to be, to be generous. People have partnered and come along time, or alongside of us in times of need. There is this, this thing about being 
uh, honoring God with your first fruits, that God seems to work in your lives. And it's this idea, like I said, about living open-handed. It, it always seems like we're taken care of. Now, if you're anything like me, I need this reminder regularly to live generously, to live open-handed. I joked about Ellen in the beginning of the sermon and not wanting to give up her Christmas presents. I don't want to give up my Christmas presents either, if I'm honest. That's my natural inclination. And I think this is why Scripture and Jesus talk so much about money and, and, and letting it control your life. So there was just a, a poll. I saw 65% of people within the church want to know more about how to use their money God's way. 65% of people in a Pew Research, Pew Research poll said that. And I believe that the Bible speaks clearly to that. Living on 80%, investing 10%, and giving 10% back to God. I have a short video I want to show, and then I'm going to actually be launching a Dave Ramsey class here this November. So let's cue up that video, and I'll just tell you just a little bit more about that when it's done. A natural peace. We all want it. For a while, I didn't have it. 20 years ago, I hit rock I lost just about everything. I turned to God for help. And I learned how to handle money His way. As you can imagine, it worked. That's why I started Financial Peace University. Because God's ways work. Whether you're in over your head or you're doing okay right now. If you bring home $10,000 or $10 million, 21 or 61, we all need a plan. Millions of people have been bringing that to university. They have success stories of their own. They've learned how to get rid of debt, prepare for generations to come, and give like crazy. Your success story, your financial peace, is up to you. Now is your time. It's time to take control of your mind. It's time to get ready for what God has for you. It's time for financial peace. So if you want to take uh, another step in this from what you've heard today, um, I would encourage you November 3rd at 6 p.m. Uh, right here at church. I'm going to be launching, launching that Dave Ramsey course. There is a sign-up sheet in the back. That first meeting is just going to be informational. Uh, come, we'll talk a little bit about what that entails, what that looks like, uh, why we're doing it. But it's something that's really uh, impacted me, and, and I think it will be impact, impactful for you as well. As I said, statistically, 65% of people within the local church want to know how to use uh, their money, their possessions, God's way, save for the future, invest well, live well in a way that honors and glorifies God. So as sign-up sheets in the back, if you want to sign up for that, boy, I, I'd sure love to have you. It's fun to teach the course, and I look forward to of learning with you as well. I don't know everything either, and this is going to be a continued learning process for me. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you uh, for your, your son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I thank you. I mean, 
first of all, for his life, death, resurrection, and, and ascension, his death on the cross for us, uh, making a way for us to be in relationship with you, God. But I'm also so thankful for, for his teaching. There really, truly has not been a teacher like Jesus. As the scribes and the Pharisees say, it said, who teach with authority. Well, he had authority because he's the son of God. God, and I'm thankful for this, for this teaching. God, you care about us. You care about how we live in this life. God, this life matters, and you call us to live in a way where we live for you in every single facet of our lives. God, you encourage us to do that, and you tell us that if we live in that way, we strive to live in a way that honors and glorifies you in all facets of our life, God, that's where we find true and lasting joy. God, help us to do that each and every way. We thank you and we pray all this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.